If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. You ever been worried about something only to find out it really wasn't that big of a deal? You were just concerned about that situation with that person that you needed to talk to, and when you finally spoke to that person, it ended up being a nothing burger, if you will. Nothing to really be concerned with. You were overwhelmed, frustrated, anxiety kicked in, but as you dealt with the situation, it just seemed to completely go unexpectedly better than you thought, right? Well, many things in our lives tend to overwhelm us to the point of anxiety. We get overwhelmed so easily, especially, I think, in our culture right now with all this stuff going on with coronavirus. Uh, we've just been so overwhelmed with everything going around to where people no longer trust one another. There's this distrust that we've built in our society now. There's, everything's politicized. If, you, if you're on the side of masks, you don't like the people that don't like masks. You know, and it's one of those things where now we can no longer just converse as human beings. We have to sit there and put ourselves in a category and stake our claim there. Folks, there are a lot of things in this life that are worth fighting for. I don't believe masks are one of them for me. I think there are a lot of things that are more serious issues that we as a church need to be more concerned with. One of the things that I think is really sown a big distrust among people in our society today is that we have constantly a barrage of lies that come our way from news media, from our politicians, who care specifically for themselves and what their bottom line is rather than the people of this country. We see that a lot of things that have been going on in this country have been stated one way only to have the narrative change. How many times have we heard 15 days to start the, you know, stop the spread and that didn't really happen? We're uh, over a year into 15 days, right? So one of the things that we need to be concerned with that the early church was concerned with is making sure that we take those things to the Lord in prayer. One of the saddest realities for the church this morning is that we find ourselves anxious for nothing, as Scripture says. We're anxious for all these things that really are nothing compared to what Christ has called us to. We're anxious for all these things that really, at the end of the day, will not amount to much. The things that we should be concerned with most, which is the souls of men, is the last thing on our prayer list. People are dying right now, and the death that they die is, is not anywhere near as intense as the judgment they face. It's nowhere near as intense. This morning we're going to talk about the prayer for deliverance, praying for deliverance. We spoke last time about the importance of being a gospel witness and the shared relief that the church should be a part of. We had specifically spoken to the fact that the Gentiles were given the gospel message and received the same Holy Spirit that the Jewish apostles did right from the start. The early church in Antioch, one of many churches, many Antiochs, if you will, we talked about that the last time, needed help and had Barnabas show up to teach them doctrine. When he needed more help, he brought in Paul to help others. The church in Jerusalem was particularly going through a hard time because famine hit and they needed relief. We mentioned the importance of providing relief in balance. We talked about the fact that we need a balanced approach in helping others according to our ability. Each one of us has different abilities. Some can help more, some can help less. 
and each should help according to their ability. We mentioned three types of people. If, if you, I'm just going to summarize this. We're not going to delve into this today. But we talked about three different types of people. Number one, those that bring nothing to the table when it comes to supporting of the ministry. Number two, those that try to do everything, leading ultimately to burnout. And number three, those that help in a balanced fashion, knowing what they're good at and what they're not good at, and helping in what they can. If you want more information, go back to that sermon we, we discussed just a couple weeks ago. As we move on, we come to another situation regarding Peter here in this text in Acts. And this time it's one where he's in prison for his faith. We're going to be looking at three things here in this text. Number one, the arrest, verses 1 through 4. Number two, the deliverance, verses 5 through 10. And number three, the amazement, verses 11 through 17. So number one, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So we see here that Herod is mentioned in this text. Now, this Herod is Herod Agrippa I who was actually a grandson of Herod the Great, the one who killed the baby boys in Bethlehem, those that we, the, the story we always talk about at Christmas time. Well, this is his grandson. Herod was a nephew of Herod Antipas, who actually killed John the Baptist. So they keep passing the name down. So don't confuse your Herods. There's a few of them in the text of Scripture that you need to make sure you know which one is which. During the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he killed John the Baptist. In fact, history is absolutely fascinating, and a lot of believers, when they read the Bible, they miss these amazing you know, connections that you can make historically. These are real people that lived on this earth, that lived and died just as I do, we, you and I do. Herod kills James here in this text, who's part of the trio of Jesus' inner circle, if you will, right? Um, his best friends, Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. I don't know how many of you knew that. Just as a reminder, they were two brothers, and Peter joined them, and they were part of the inner circle of Jesus Christ. In fact, most of the, most of the problem, I think, for us as a church um, is that we know a lot more about Peter because Peter's mentioned so frequently. Very little for us is mentioned about James, and so some of us don't do some digging. Many of us know a lot more about Peter and John than James, but James is very significant. Why? Because he was actually part of the inner circle. So he saw a lot of the things that Jesus revealed to those three. In fact, Jesus revealed more to him, Peter, and John than all the other disciples that had, that had been traveling with him. He's also one of the first apostles to be martyred. In fact, he's the first one that's mentioned. He was in no wise a pushover either. In fact... He wanted Jesus to call down fire from heaven, right, when they were rejected, giving him the title with John as a son of thunder. So he was, you know, everybody tends to think Peter's the only outspoken one. James had his moments as well. Peter's just probably the most outspoken out of the three. In fact, James, with his brother, asked for a special place in glory with Jesus, thinking that he was some big shot, right? Lord, 
can you make sure that we sit up there with you? When Jesus tells them simply, if you don't serve, you're never going to be great in the kingdom. To be great, you need to serve. Here we find James as being put to death, as Jesus predicted. More than likely, what happened here was a beheading. So Herod puts Peter in prison with the intention of making him an example publicly, just as Pilate did with Jesus during the Passover week. We don't know exactly why Peter was arrested, but the text does tell us that Herod was using Peter as a means to a political win with the Jewish population at that time. He was the ruler over them, and he wanted to please them in, in this sense. What's interesting is Peter's guarded by 16 soldiers, I mean through rotating shifts, who normally guarded in six-hour shifts, making it more difficult for potential escape. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but Peter already had an escape before. So I think they kind of learned the lesson. All right, more soldiers, make sure we're good. The goal was to make an example out of Peter and publicly humiliate him before the Jewish pe people after Passover. Little do they know that God's not done with Peter because he's going to get delivered once again. So number two, we're going to be looking at the deliverance. Verses 5 through 10. Look at what it says. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. <laughs> it's a common thread for Peter. He sleeps when it's hard, right? History proves that. Bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. But when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Brilliant. Amazing stuff here. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So, it's important to note that Jesus was to be taken to be crucified. Remember, Peter's response then was what? Revolution, right? May it not be, Lord. Peter takes out a sword, tries to go after somebody, hacks off a, an ear. We don't see that being part of Peter's response here. Okay? We don't see any of that tension when they arrested him here. In fact, we see no signs of this from Peter. The countdown to Peter's trial is more than likely an execution and probably a beheading. But there's one thing that specifically Herod and the soldiers had not accounted for. And this is a detail that's missed by many. The consistent, fervent prayer of the church on his behalf. In fact, if you look earlier, right in verse 5, what does it say? Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. They didn't just start praying one time and stopped. They kept praying for Peter. We're going to talk, talk about that here in a moment. They were praying for Peter the night before the execution as well. Now, here's an important fact, and, and I know this is uh, it's going to run a little contrary to the way Americans do things, but 
hey, it's the Bible. We're going we're gonna to just take it apart as it is. The church didn't attempt a prison break, okay? There was no like, hey, we're going to break them out. Although, that would have been really neat to read in this text. They did not take up arms. They did the one thing many of us think doesn't really matter. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed to God for Peter. And I believe they prayed because they knew it wasn't over until God said it was over. We make a lot of mistakes, church, when it comes to our prayer life. Here are are some of the mistakes that I think we make. Number one, we pray out of duty rather than delight. I have to do this. God tells me I need to pray. We almost have this sense, here we go again, I guess I better pray. Many of us don't even have that attitude with the people we love. Imagine if you came home, got to talk to my spouse again. (sighs) But yet we do that with God. Do you realize how insulting that is? Do we even understand? We pray to impress others. So many people pray incredible prayers to impress those that hear them. Not realizing that they're very much like the Pharisees of Christ's day. In fact, this is an area that's so easy to fall prey to in our attempts to be heard by others rather than God. Listen, don't push the perfect prayer, believer. You know, sometimes the only prayer you need to pray is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. You don't need the, God, I thank you, I'm not like so-and-so prayer. That's a carbon copy of a Pharisee's prayer. And yet we pray them all the time, maybe not exactly with that lingo, but we definitely do. Some of us, we simply just don't pray, period. We don't put any validity to prayer. We either believe God is just simply not concerned with what we have to mention, or that prayer just doesn't do anything at all. What's the point? Sadly, that's a lot of believers today. Some of us, we pray for the wrong reason. Many of us pray as if God is some magic genie that owes us something. God, I want to be a millionaire, so I'm going to pray for this. God, I want that car. God, I want this house. God, I want this. I want that. It's all self-centered. Jesus praying to the Father did not keep him from experiencing the cross, believer. It was still determined that he was to go through what he was supposed to go through. You see, sometimes we pray some of the most selfish prayers and don't even realize it until after the fact. Some of the lessons learned in our lives when God takes something away from us that we've been praying to hold on to are the very means for us to grow in grace. One of the biggest ones, I think, that's most common for all of us is we give up too soon. All of us have given up praying for certain people or certain situations. All of us have. We've given up praying for our marriage, those of us that have a difficulty in our marriage. We've given up praying for our children that are walking away from God. 
We've given up praying for our job situation. We just think we can't do better than this. We've given up praying for our country. Well, I prayed. Look at what happened. It's not what I want. We think we've prayed enough. We're all just doomed. Sadly, what people's perspective today is, it's all over, Jesus, just take me home. Can I just stress something that I don't think a lot of you understand and I don't understand well? The disciples didn't have the attitude many Christians have today. And they were faced with a lot more serious consequences for their faith than we do. Scriptures tells us not to worry, but to pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Scripture says, seek and you shall find. You won't find the first time, but as you keep seeking, you will find. This church did not give up. They kept praying for Peter until the night before what looked to be his execution. Believers, God is sovereign. And in his sovereign will, he determined that James would not be spared, but Peter was. Why did God allow for James to be executed, but Peter to be delivered? His sovereign decree. There's nothing in this text that tells us that the church just didn't pray for James, and that's why he wasn't delivered. God is God, and he needs to be able to make those determinations. We see an angel of the Lord being sent, telling Peter to get up. And what do we see here in the text? The chains just fall right off of Peter. Interestingly enough, though, the, the angel tells him, hey, uh, get your clothes on, get your sandals on. Get ready. What's amazing is Peter's thinking this is another vision again. You remember he had the, the vision of the sheet with the animals in it? Oh, great, here's another vision. I, I don't even know what the meaning of this one is. And it's reality. This is actually happening to him. He is really escaping from prison. This is a real prison break, if you will. As they're getting out of the gate leading to the city, the gate opens up for him on the way out. And suddenly as he's out in the open, the angel disappears. This is where we get to our last point here, which is amazement. Number three, the amazement, verses 11 through 17. This is probably my favorite part of the text. Just reading this is just incredible. Verses 11 through 17. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Here's what's interesting. Peter finally realizes what's going on. Wait, this is no longer a vision. I'm really out of jail. Like, I'm actually out. This is real. I'm really free. I thought I was a dead man, although he was sleeping, so I don't know how worried Peter was. I, I, I tend to just kind of find myself, okay, so when Jesus is going through a trial, what does Peter do in response? Watch and pray. Out. Tomorrow's execution day. <laughs> Get a good nap. You know, I don't know. I've, I've always tried to figure out what Peter's doing here in this text, but he apparently wasn't anywhere near as concerned as others would be up all night. He just went back to sleep. Peter realizes that this is reality, and he goes to John Mark's mother's house, where there's a prayer meeting going on right at that time. A couple questions I had when I looked at this text. How did he know which house to go to? Like, there are a lot of people's homes to go to, right? Like, how did he know, hey, this is the house I need to go? Apparently, he had been there before, so this was a place that was probably familiar to him, and those in that church. Apparently, this was a house where disciples gathered to pray. It must have been so common because he knew this is the place to go. And this is where I love the storyline. I really do. Peter comes to the front of the gate, in the front of the house, and knocks, asking a girl named Rhoda to come in. She actually recognizes him, right? Oh, it's Peter. Leaves him on the outside of the gate, and go talk, goes and talks to the rest. So excited, she still kept him outside. Sometimes common sense just kind of disappears when we're excited about something, right? You ever have that happen to you? She runs in, tells him, you won't believe it. Peter is here. He's at the front of the gate. He's, we're praying for him, but he's right here. I've tried to picture how this all went down. I mean, were they in the middle of a prayer and she just kind of interrupts? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I don't think we, we, we really think through some texts of Scripture sometimes. I remember telling my students at, in, in my Bible class a couple years ago, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories, though, it probably borderline horror, demon-possessed pigs. Like, it's one of my favorite, favorite texts of Scripture. It's just mind-blowing seeing all these pigs running into the water. I know, it's crazy. Pastor Roman, why do you... That stuff fascinates me. I think we read the Bible, we think, man, this is so boring. It's not boring. There's so much in here. I'm trying to picture what happened here, right? She, she's coming in. They're praying for Peter. Peter's right there. She still leaves him out there. Like, you know, he just escaped prison. Like, one of the things you should do is let him in. The response, I can only picture, right? Because they, they, they respond to her statement like, I don't know, I think of Nacho Libre on this point. Don't be crazy. Like, if you lost your mind, Rhoda, what are you talking about? What do you mean Peter's here? She keeps insisting this and is met with the response, well, it must be his angel. There are a couple of different ways that could be viewed. They could have meant a messenger must have been sent by Peter to them. Could have been a guardian angel that they believed was sent to appear to them on Peter's behalf. Or number three, that Peter had died and an angel was sent representing him. 
We don't know exactly what they meant by that, but they, they ultimately implied that must be his angel. Might, might not, it's probably not really Peter. Could you imagine Peter still knocking? Seriously, the Bible's exciting. I don't know why people miss these things sometimes. While they're still debating whether he's there, he's still out on the outside knocking at the gate. They finally open the door and are just simply blown away. You want to talk about an immediate prayer request answered? Uh, Peter, we're just, we're, we're just we're praying about you right now. What happened? What happened? They couldn't believe it. It's a direct answer to prayer. Well, have you ever had that happen to you? You pray for something exactly that moment God answered it. I remember one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me, but I'm sharing that this morning. When I was growing up, I grew up in a good Christian home. My parents taught me the Word of God as being priority and important in my life. And I was growing up as a teenager, I struggled with certain sins that many young men struggle with. And I remember, as I was getting to senior year of high school, feeling like there's nothing God could do to use me in my life. I remember watching a lot of people do some incredible things for God and wondering if that could ever be something God could do in my own life. Well, I grew up doing Awana clubs, and one of the things that we did was we did Bible quizzing and Olympic games and all that. I was very, very high in priority on Bible quizzing. That was a big deal to me. It was a big deal to my parents. Um, you know, and we would go and actually compete uh, nationally for this. And I remember I'd, I had gone my junior year of high school, and we went to Bible quizzing nationally. I think it was Chicago that year. And I bombed. I mean, I messed up bad. I did, we did Bible quizzing. You had to speed buzz and all that stuff. And I mean, I just wrecked it the first time. Uh, we were out like one of the first rounds. It was just embarrassment. And we got to senior year. And I'm working and preparing for it again, doing this again. And behind the scenes, what people didn't know is here I was, I was memorizing God's word. I was trying to do well in Bible quizzing, and I'm struggling with sin behind the scenes. I got to a place where I, I said, God, if you want to use me, I don't recommend doing this. God, if you want to use me, let me win Bible quizzing nationally. Just one of those prayers I threw out there that, like I said, I would not recommend doing. This isn't Pastor Roman's instruction for your life. And I remember not having the funds to go. And I had friends that stepped in, paid for that, said, Roman, we know that you need to go. And behind the scenes, nobody knows what's going on with me and God. So we got in, the, got in there. We actually were out in Omaha, Nebraska that year. So got this nice different scenery completely than Chicago. 
And we're going through it. I'm going through the first round, second round. I mean, there's a lot of different teams we're competing against. We had one particular team just really, really uh, on, the, on the ball on a lot of things. And in the background, what people don't know is I'm sitting there going, no, the guy, this is just, no, you know, no. This isn't really working. This isn't really happening. And we get to the final round. And we're, you know, we have speed quizzing and all that. We need to buzz in, you know, buzz in as early as possible so you can beat the others, finish the question, and give the answer. And 2 Timothy, and I buzz in. And it can be two different verses. 2-2, two, two, 3 16, 17. And I'm trying to take a stab. Which one do I think it's going to be? So I go with 2 Timothy 3 16, 17. All scripture is given by and I, and I messed up the first time. Stopped for a second. Re, restarted. And I had that, you know that you have those dramatic pauses in movies? That's correct. I'm just blown away. Literally the final round. We end up winning. And I finally shared that with others. That was the most real prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And I think we give up too easily. We tend to think God is done with us. We tend to think that the things that we are concerned with, God doesn't care for. No, I don't have everything perfect in my life right now. I know I'd like to say that. But I do know that God's using my life. And I'm grateful to be a pastor. What do you think would happen, church, if the people of God prayed like this church did instead of complaining about the circumstance? What do you think would happen instead of complaining as often as we do about the things we can't control you still warn people about the danger, but you're still praying for them behind the scenes. Instead of complaining about things we can't control, we started praying for those things faithfully and consistently. We started praying without giving up for our children's salvations. We started praying without giving up for our nation to turn back to God, not just for a certain politician to become president. What would happen if we started praying for God to grow us in faith rather than simply protect us from the difficulties facing us? The only, the only growth the church experiences when it faced persecution and hardship. I don't know why we want to avoid it so bad. We think escaping is always the better route. I'm not so sure. What would happen if we started praying for and caring for those around us rather than avoiding them because they make us feel uncomfortable? Isn't it easier just to avoid some people? Like, what's the point of causing the controversy? I'm just going to avoid them entirely. Have you prayed for them? What would happen if we started praying for God to change us before we ask him to change others? Here's my conclusion this morning. How important is prayer to you? How important is prayer to you? Do you pray out of duty rather than delight? I mentioned this earlier. 
Do you feel like, oh, I have to do it? You know, it's, it's told me that this is important. I need to do it. Do you pray to impress others? Is there something where you're just trying to impress other people with how you pray? Do you even pray at all? Or is that something that's missing from your Christian walk? Do you pray for the wrong reason? Are you always about yourself and your self-centered way? When it comes to your prayers, you pray for yourself more than you pray for others. And I'm not talking about praying for yourself in that God would break your heart for the things that break His. I'm talking about praying for yourself in a selfish manner. Have you given up praying? Have you just stopped praying for certain things or certain people? You know you should, but you've just given up. You feel it's hopeless to even try anymore? Because you've prayed for a certain amount of time and you're just like, all right, I've already prayed for this long enough, I need to stop. Nothing seems to change. Have you considered that prayer itself is meant to change you more than to change the other person? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the first and most important step that you need to take is to come to him in faith and ask for forgiveness. Salvation is offered freely, but it most certainly costs Jesus his life. He offers that to anybody that calls on his name. Church, prayer needs to be important. It needs to be important to all of us, not just some of us. And we need to stir one another, as Scripture says, to good works. That means stirring one another to pray more frequently. Join us next week. Let's pray. <laughs>